Hey, this is Jim Fleming, and this is the Stuart Heights Fleming Sunday School Podcast. This podcast is a recording of our weekly Sunday School class, as well as a few other teaching opportunities I get at my church. But before you listen further, you may want to go to teachings.jim314.com and download the student and or teacher handouts so you can follow along visually and take some notes. Thanks for listening. Come back often, and feel free to add this podcast to your favorite podcast app or to iTunes. Now let's get to this week's lesson. Good morning, everybody. So two things to take note of this morning. Uh, The name at the bottom left of your handout is not Jim Fleming, and I am excited about that this morning. You guys are in for a treat. Uh, Every few years, I convince Doug that it is time for him to speak, uh, and I am thrilled about that this morning. I'm going to walk us through our uh, introduction and reading of the text, and then we will turn it over to Mr. Doug Skinner for the next portion. So we're in week nine of Romans, uh, and just to review as we do each week, uh, our proposal for Bible study time, uh, that we are not spending as much time in tools as we are with the Holy Spirit, the Scripture, and the church. So I'm going to keep pounding this and pounding this and pounding this, mostly because I am slow and stupid and need to hear it myself, uh, and I figure if I'm slow, then uh, I won't finish that sentence. So, all right, we'll go from there. So we're going to start with uh, Romans 1 and read Romans 1 and 2 and the first eight verses of Romans 3. Uh, and then I'm going to turn it over to Doug Skinner, and he's going to take it from there. So some of you know that Doug's had some issues with his back uh, the last couple of months, uh, years maybe even, Doug? Years, yes. Uh, so we're going to try to minimize the amount of time that he's standing. I'm going to do the reading part, and then we'll get him up. So Romans 1, if you've got your Bibles ready there. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, 
because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you're instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. 
But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is one merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. Then, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why do not evil and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. So today's class, we're going to read the text. We just did that. And Doug's going to come on up right now and explain the text, apply the text, personalize the text, and then we will have our table prayer time. So again, this is Doug Skinner. And I am excited to have Doug today. So we're going to transition microphones and we'll be back in just a second. Has anybody ever wore these things before? This is awkward. It's obnoxiously uncomfortable. Yes, yes it is. Am I on? Am I on? I guess I am. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? I can get myself settled here. Is this March or what? March the 12th. This is unbelievable. You know, you look for spring and you think when you get the first few signs of a nice warm day, you think, all right. But then March is not over and we live in the south and then you expect to get a little snow. I'm surprised we didn't get a little more. And I don't think we're done yet. So um, I think we got some more snow on the way. Uh let me, let me state right off the bat, uh, Jim asked me to come teach the class, and I will tell you right now, I do not have the gift of teaching, okay? <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not the one that you would say uh, can persuade you in, uh, in a lot of matters. Uh, I was going to point out Jay Arnold this morning. Uh, he's not here this morning. Uh, my wife tells me this, and I'm more like this. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was uh, in the military for 36 years, uh, and I learned very quickly, that's me. Uh, retired in 2015 with 36 years as an E9. So I'm more of the kind, you do what I say. Uh, it's easier for me to do that than to stand up and persuade you. So, okay. I'm not like Jim. Jim is awesome. He's got that. He has that gift. He can present it. He makes you think about it. And you're going, I can see that. I can see that. That's the gift of teaching. That I don't have. So, uh, please bear with me. Uh, as we, we start to look 
That's what Paul, I'm going to go back to that slide right here. Uh, let's explain this text. Let's read through it real quick. And, uh, well, let's just go through and uh, ask some of these. What does the text say? All right. Um, are there any literary, literary structural observations? Has anybody seen any literal observations? What do you see out of the text? Now, I'm, I'm sitting here studying this. I'm going, we just have eight verses. I'm thinking, okay, this, this should be a no-brainer. Oh, my. If you read through Romans, if you try to understand what Paul is saying, Paul is a lawyer. He is coming at this through a lawyer mindset because you have to understand who he's talking to, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But do you see any structural observations? Okay. Okay. Satoric. That's a satoric method. Yes. Yes, he does. Yes. He, he, how many times does he do that? I counted seven times. Just in eight verses, he does it seven times. And it's called the satoric method. It's the principle underlying the Socratic method is that students learn through the use of critical thinking, reasoning, and logic. So he's trying to bring out... Now remember, Paul is a... And he's also a Jew. And who is one of his audiences? Oops, wrong way. I'm going back too far. Okay. This is who Paul is talking to. So the world according to ethnicity, you got the ethnic Israel and you get the Gentiles. And we're later going to come back to this slide because it's very important. But to the world according to Paul, you have the true Israel and not true Israel. So Paul was trying to speak to the Jews that are at Rome. But he's also talking to the Gentiles. But his heart is to the Jew first and to the Gentile. So you see that a lot. So Paul's talking to them. And uh, so he's, he's really hounded on them. All right, he's using that. He's asking them questions. Do you think these Jews might know the Old Testament law? Because remember, we're transitioning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We're transitioning transferring from law. Now, in the Old Testament, how did you get saved? It was by faith. You still, it's saying, it's by faith. But Paul's trying to, to draw that back to that point. He's trying to get them to see it's by faith. But he's talking to the Jewish community. Because if you read through Scripture, you'll find out that you see a lot of this trying to be influencing this. Because they, so Paul's trying to, to, to lay the ground even. All right. He's talking, so he's, he's, he's talking, he uses that, that same method seven times. So we're still in a, in a court situ, uh, area, a court situ, situation where Paul is defending the faith. He's trying to get them to see the transition from the Old Testament 
to the New Testament. All right? Uh, are there any repeated words? Say it again. By no means. Okay. Any others? Sir? God? Yes. Jew? He is talking to the Jews, isn't he? Faithful? Are there any repeated topics? Condemnation. Faithfulness. Very important. Right. And I think you mentioned it before. What shall we say? He uses that quite often. Because he's trying to remind them of what they already know. Alright? Are there, are there some observations in the text? Okay. Uh, let's just take this. I'm going to take this time right now. I, I just want to read those eight verses again. Because there's some things we'll, we'll bring out. Then what, in verse 1, then what advantage, what makes being a Jew better than any, anyone else has the Jew? Or what is the value or the usefulness, advantage, or profit of circumcision? circumcision? Verse 2, much in every way. Individually, each, every, any, all, the whole, everyone, all things, everything. What, much in every way. So he's saying a lot. To begin with, and pointing to the most important fact, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles. They were entrusted with the contents of the Mosaic law. So, he's, so he knows this. The contents of Mosaic law of God, Paul is emphasizing the privileges they were entrusted with. In Romans 9, 4 and Exodus 9, Three uh, through six. Verse three, what if some were unfaithful to have no belief be unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify or to render idle, unemployed, inactive, inoperative, to cause to cease, put to an end, do away? Uh, I'm putting a lot here because Paul is really trying to, to drive the point home. Does the faithfulness, faithlessness, excuse me, nullify the faithfulness of God. Now, what, what he's doing here, this is a rhetorical question leading up to the next verse. By no means. Now, we're going to come back to that. By no means. Let God be true, and everyone a liar, as it is written. That you, God, may be justified in your words, and prevail when you are judged, when, when you're judged, presented, it's a, it's a present passive infinitive, in being judged. And uh, Psalms 51.4, we'll, we'll look at that. But if our righteousness, our wickedness, evil, wrongdoing, serves to show the righteousness or the righteous, what is right, just, the act of doing what is in agreement with God's standards of God, what shall we say? And at this point, Paul's introducing a conclusion. The God of unrighteousness to inflict the wrath on us, I speak in, in a human way. By no means. Now, you... That's twice he's used that, and we're going to look at that. 
same meaning as the verse that where Paul is bringing out his, the big guns. Paul is emphasizing something here, and we'll look at that. For then how could God judge? And I think we've seen that word before. Crino, you remember that? We saw that in uh, chapter 2, wasn't it? I believe so. Uh, it's avenge, conclude, condemn, damn, uh, decree, determine, esteem, judge, go to, or sue, law, the world. But if through my law God's truth abounds, if my lie God's truth abounds, or to be in excess, to be superfluous, uh, to His glory, why am I still being uh, condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come. So some people slanderously uh, charge us to say their condemnation is just. So let's go to verse 1. Then what advantage? What, what Paul is trying to do, he's trying to get it here. He's trying to get it to where it's, it's an evil playing field. So he's, he's asking the Jews, listen, you're, you're, you're taking the law and going the wrong way with it. We're transitioning to where Everybody is on the same plane. Paul begins his argument with leveling the playing field, both Jew and Gentile. If both are guilty before God, then what is the superiority of the Jew or circumcision? Have you ever had anything and think, well, you know, this is really good. You know, I'm, I'm an expert in this. Kind of makes you feel like you're a a step up, especially when you get into that. Well, that's what's happening to the Jewish nation. They think they... I mean, if you look back, uh, let me just take to my notes. What does the Jew have over and above the Gentile? It is a pertinent question after the stinging indictment of the Jew in chapter 2. Here Paul wants the Jew to put the emphasis on the proper, in the proper place. In chapter 2, 12 through 28, Paul's explaining God's judgment and the law. But he is driving to the point of verse 229. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So Paul is trying to help them understand that their thinking is wrong. Let's go to verse 2. Much in every way. Let me go back to that. I'm going to get that flow. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. He's saying, listen, if you're a Jew, what is the advantage of being a Jew? What advantage is that? And he says, much in every way. Because, he says, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The words, orda and... They were, they were given the privilege to take God's Word. They were the ones that God had chosen to take God's Word. He had entrusted them to uh, be a light, just as we're supposed to be a light. Uh, I referenced Exodus 19, 5-6, but in, in 3-6, uh, it says, Now, if you will listen to me, now this is, this is uh, when they've come out of Egypt. Now, if you will listen to me and carefully keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although all the earth is mine. Now, this is God speaking to the Jewish people. He's telling this. 
Well, let me finish the verse. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the world, these are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. And he goes ahead and says, listen, God says, all the world is mine. All the world is mine. But you are special. I have picked you out to be my priests and my ambassadors. God is telling the Jewish nation. So Paul was going back. He's trying to go back to the roots. He's going back to, to Israel and say, this, this is what you have. You have the oracles of God. You have been entrusted with the oracles of God. Let's go to verse 3. Now, wow, I tell you what, I'm thinking eight verses, that, that, that can't take too long. But when you read Romans over and over, but don't read just chapter 3. You have to start in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and you see where Paul is going with this. Paul is trying to get them to see that you're special. But you're not special in what you made it special. You, you're special because I've called you to be priests, but they've erred from that. What if some were unfaithful, all right, to have no belief? So Paul's bringing up an argument. What if some were unfaithful? He's questioning. He's getting them to think. There's that question. Why? He's wanting them. He's setting up his reasoning for this. He goes, what if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithful, faithfulness of God? And, and what Paul does is, he's asked twice, what if some were unfaithful? And then he says, does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? He's asked two questions. And the last question is, it's a rhetorical question because he's leading to the next verse. What conclusions can we draw from that? Surely not that God, who inflicts wrath due to unrighteousness at the last day, is himself unrighteous. And 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. See, their thinking is that, uh, I'm not so sure that... Uh, uh, we're really going to be judged that way. Because if you go back in chapter 2, you see that they're thinking, that they're pretty puffed up at that time. They're pretty, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. We're, we're, the, we're the kings on the street, you know. We're the ones that's got the Word of God. And what Paul is saying, uh, yes, you do have the Word of God. But God has entrusted us with the Word of God to present God to the world. And is the Jewish nation doing that right now? And as Paul in, verse, in chapter 2 is saying, you've got all this stuff. You're the teachers. You're the one leading the children. But are you really teaching the Word of God? You've let your hearts go astray. So when we go on, the Jews were entrusted oracles, and Paul emphasizes the privilege they were entrusted with. And if you look in Romans 9, 4, and Exodus 9, 3, and 6, you'll see that. 
God's entrusting him. <clears throat> uh, so at this point, we have to look just how off the mark the Jewish nation had become. What was their attitude then, and how different is it today? And, you know, I got thinking about this. I did a little research on this. I still haven't figured this out. But why do you think, because they're going, okay, we have the law and circumcision. I'm thinking, why did God pick that? I'm thinking, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing a little research. I'm thinking, why did he have to, why didn't he say tattoo, you know? I'm thinking that would be a little bit you know, less evasive, you know, I'm thinking, well, I still haven't figured that out. So if anybody figures that out, please let me know. But I'm thinking, but see, these are things that they've highlighted. These are the things. Run. Isn't the whole point of it, the uh, circumcision of the flesh was a type of what God wanted, the circumcision of the heart. He didn't want them just to present all these laws and things, see what I do, see what I am. But he wanted it to be from the heart love, mm. not a bunch of laws. And True. That's, uh, True. I mean, that's kind of a that's good. look at it because you've got a whole nation of people rushing about doing all these laws, and yet, evidently nearly all of them, that's the whole point of it, mm. is that the Spirit gives life, you know, that they do it from the heart because they love somebody, not to be seen. Right. That's just a good point. That's a good way to look at it. And so, and so whether it's a tattoo or a circumcision, that's all a physical thing, just like the laws are all physical things that you can observe people doing or not. But the real thing of it is the motive behind it. Why are they doing what they're doing? They're right. Because the they're doing it to be safe. But you think sometimes it's easier just to do do something because that's what you're supposed to do? You know, well, if you want to be this group, this is what we do. And, but again, it's, it's a faith issue, isn't it? Well, it is. We do right because, from habit. We don't necessarily do it because we think it's the right thing. But I hope maybe most of the time it's the same. <laughs> well, it points back to our motives. And I think that's what Paul's pointing out. Paul's pointing out, listen, your motivation shouldn't be just because of this, this, because you are number one on the block. This is because you're serving God. You have the oracles of God, and you're, you're not teaching faith. You're teaching duty. I mean, it kind of looks that way. All right? So we see what if some were unfaithful in verse 3. What if some were unfaithful? Does this faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? And you would say, no. But does it? I mean, in their viewpoint, because isn't that what they're saying? So let's go to verse 4. He says, by no means. Now I want to point this out because this happens twice. Um, by no means. That's me genetoi. Geneto. It, it's a, two Greek words. Uh, when you put me and geneto together, uh, it's used ten times in, in Romans. Paul uses it 10 times. It's, it's a very, very, very strong word. Paul is rebuting their thinking. He says, by no means, absolutely not. NET says, by no means. ESV, God forbid. 
KJV, and perish the thought. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you, God, may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And what he does, in, that, in the next, and you'll see in verse, uh, he refers back to Psalms 50, 51.4. Is everybody pretty much familiar with 50, Psalms 51.4? Do you know what that Psalms is pretty much about? It's when David, this is David speaking in Psalms. And after all that happened in David's life, Nathan comes and says, hey, you know, he points out to David and says, David, you know, you're the one. He uses the illustration about the lamb and some guy took this guy's personal lamb. He says, David, you're the one. And David, is hard. he realizes and God's, God's going to let things happen in David's life. And this is where this is coming from. Psalms 51.4, against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So, so Paul's trying to bring them back to the truth. But in verse 5, but if our righteousness, and I have to be careful, I have to kind of read this kind of fast because I'll get lost in the meaning. But if our righteousness serves to show, if our unrighteousness, excuse me, serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. Paul's got a pretty strong argument. And I'm going to have to be honest with you. It took me we got to stop right here. Because Paul is saying, whoa, hold it. Your thinking is wrong. Whoa. Uh-uh. No. So I'm thinking, how can I apply this? Okay. I'm thinking, all right, we've got to come up with an example that I would understand. Now, I'm hoping this comes across right. You understand it because I am... I'm not a teacher. I'm a, I'm a command kind of guy. All right. These little things. Have you ever run on these, uh, come across these before as you're driving? They're for a reason, right? You stop. And this is kind of, I put this here because this is what Paul's saying. Well, got to stop. No, 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 no. By no means. He says, hold it. If you fail that, all right, if you just, has anybody ever run a stop sign? See, I a little reluctant to say it, huh? We all have. I mean, you know. But in the Jewish nation mind, they didn't have to stop. They had the law. I mean, they're breaking the law. But in their mind, they're good. Everything's good. We're the ones that's got the Word of God. We're, we're the Jewish. We're the ones. But now remember, Paul's speaking to the church at Rome. And there are Christians, uh, Jewish Christians now, and they're in with the Gentiles. And he's trying to lay them out all on the same field. And as he talks to them, so if you're driving through that stop sign, you make it once. All right, now that stop sign is for your safety, okay? But if you get the mindset, well, I'm not bound to that, then you might get by eventually a few more times, but eventually what's going to happen? Okay. Uh, Can you see where I'm going with this? If you decide not to obey and, and you are your own and you just keep on going, 
eventually it's going to catch up with you. And what Paul is saying is, no, you're not above the law. You're not better than the law. You're not better than anybody else. Verse 5. Because see, now let me, let me say this. In that time, that, there was an argument that there was a belief that, you know, if we do wrong, then that'll do right. You know, God's not... But, but let, me ask, let me ask you this. If you go to court and you get, you get caught for running that, you're going to the court, right? And guess who's you, who you're going to be before? A what? Judge. Yeah. Is that judge righteous or not? Is that judge going to hold up to the law? Or, But see, the Jews didn't think they were to the law. That they could do whatever they wanted. And what Paul's saying is, no, that's not true. He's trying to get them to see how God is leading through His Word what the crucifixion meant. About faith. About what it meant. Let's go to verse 5. But if our righteousness shows serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict on us? So we stopped here. Verse 6, by no means. Ha, he uses that again, by no means. He uses the same word. All right, at this point, Paul's being, bringing out, he's, twice he's brought it out. He's brought out the big guns. He's saying, no, 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 no. We're, we're, no, stop right there. Then how... Could God judge the world? He's trying to tell the Jews, if God is not righteous... Now remember, we're, Paul, was, it, Paul was defending God's righteousness. He's upholding God's righteousness. And he's trying to get them to understand that God is righteousness, is righteous. And he's because at that time there was a, there was a the just a mindset that we could do whatever we want and God's kind of you know overlook it. But he's trying to now you can't do that. God is righteous. He is righteous. For then how can God judge the world? If God's not righteous, how could He judge the world? Verse seven. But if through my lie, God's truth abounds. To His glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? Now, let me go ahead and read verse 8 because we're going to be closing up here in a sec. And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just. You have to read verse 6, 7, and 8 to get the point of what he's saying. It took me a while on this. And sometimes the best way for me to understand this was just read those three verses over and over because you have to understand what Paul is saying. By no means, then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to His glory, why am I still being condemned to sinner? So if, if, if I say that, yeah, okay, I agree with you. I'll go your way. Then how can he, and then he says, if, if I agree with you, why am I still being condemned a sinner? Because what are they saying? Paul, you're a sinner. Well, if God is unjust, how can he call me a sinner? It's almost, Paul is trying to drive home 
God's righteousness upheld. God is who he says he is. How did they get so far off mark? Let me ask you this. How do we get so far off mark? Do we ever add anything to what God says? Or maybe lessen to what God says? And you know, when you, you find yourself in a situation sometimes where like, well, how did I get this far? Um, I, I did have slide eight. supposed to be there. Oh, well, I ain't worried about it. I have a friend of mine that, that I work with, and um, he, uh, it's kind of interesting when God puts you in a place where it gets kind of tough. You know, you always hear the F-bomb, the F-word. That's just like, oh. every other, I think, how do you guys? But it's like, well, when I got to, to where I used to work, where I work at, when I got there, there was a young man who, well, he's an older man. Uh, he's 60 years old. Uh, he's a Christian. And a lot of the guys there made fun of him. Now, you know, when you, it's funny how, if you're a Christian, when you walk into a place, how people can just pick that up. You know, it's like, it didn't take them about a couple days for them to figure out that I was a little different because I didn't. And I mean, they, they cuss like, oh, I'm like, good grief. But I'm, I'm used to that. You know, I've been in the military that long. I know how things go. And every once in a while, I, I'd walk into a room. They would start stop talking. Well, this gentleman that, that, that's there is a Christian. He'd kind of fallen into that thing. And, you know, he come up to me one day. He goes, hey, you're, you're a Christian, aren't you? I said, well, yeah, sure am. He goes... You know, I, I'm a Christian too. I said, oh, okay. He goes, but you know, for a long time, he, he's been working there 15 years. He goes, it's just, it's hard for me. There's no one. He's not in church. He's not, he's not doing this. So he's doing things that he shouldn't do. So I said, hey, I'll tell you what. If, if, if you want, let's get together. Let's get together. Because I'm more of a one-on-one kind of person. I, I'm not, you know, a teacher, okay? I like the one-on-one. And so he goes, yeah, okay. So we started meeting in the mornings, breakfast and, and going over. And so we started. And uh, one of the things that, that I, he'd say, well, I'm having a hard time. I said, well, do you read your Bible? He goes, well, I have one. <laughs> he goes, and I know it's, it's, it's what God says in our truth. I said, well, won't you start reading it? I said, what you have to do is you have to start putting it. And he goes, well, I've read that stuff before. But I said, well, what you have to do is you have to start asking God to help you to apply that to your life, to make that part of your life. And uh, we've been working together, I think, three, almost three years now. And uh, he comes over every once in a while to the house. And uh, we talk about it. He calls me all the time now. And it's funny because he would come and he'd go, well, you know, I started reading the Bible and he'd start asking me questions. I said, well, okay, that's good. I said, well, that's what God, the Bible says. And I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's what the Word of God does. And that's what Paul is trying to get the Jews at that, in their congregation to understand. And not only the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. He's trying to get them to understand God's righteousness. And that they can trust God. And as the Jewish nation was entrusted with the Word of God. So... What can we learn from that? Let's look at our applications. If I can find them. 
All right, I apply this. And you know, I think that's the hardest thing for me is to apply that to my life. You, you read Scripture and you think, well, how does that apply to me? So apply it. What's the point? Everyone is doing it. So I'll tell you what, let's look at the Scripture. What does the Scripture say? Daily Bible study. And I, I like this. Bathe yourself in God's Word. That's where you find the strength and the encouragement. Do we talk to God? Is prayer essential? Personalize it? What do we do with it? Does our reasoning align with Scripture? That's your blank. See, I'm pretty easy. I only have one blank. <laughs> so if you, can, if you can walk out of here with just one thing, usually if you can just grab one, one, one thing, does our reasoning align with Scripture? And secondly, where do we get our theology? So, next week, no one is righteous. Chapter 3, 9 through 20. And you see your homework. And our process, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Read Romans. Talk about Romans. And send your feedback in to Jim. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for your Word. And that you've entrusted us with it. And that we take it and apply it to our lives. May we take it out in our community. And may our lives make a difference to others. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 